0: I invite open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. It's good to see everyone out this morning. It's been uh, an encouragement to be here so far. I mean, at least for me, I had the privilege and the opportunity to spend just a few moments with the middle school class this morning, and I'll tell you what, they, they know their stuff. I uh, kept asking them questions, and they were able to answer, and and there were a couple of times I asked asking questions. And they started teaching me stuff. <laughs> so, I, I, I tell you what, it's, it's encouraging to see that uh, with, with the younger ones here uh, to have that education. And I, I don't just mean worldly education. They're not just just smart by by the world standards. They are educated in the Bible. That's a beautiful thing. And so I, I would say, if, if you need uh, encouragement this morning, just just look at some of the younger folks that we have here and, and just the the way that they are. Getting to know the Scriptures—it's a beautiful thing. So I, I was—I was just glad to be able to do that this morning, and I, I, I guarantee I can just almost guarantee that this morning's class was was just as profitable upstairs, as well. And so uh, I, I appreciate the the men who have led us in worship so far. Cody's good prayer, and, and Tom's leading us in, in the singing, and just—it's—it's it's, it's been good to be here, even though it's a rainy day. So, uh, before we get into the study this morning. As I said, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be reading from that uh, passage in just a moment. But I I do need to give you a little bit of warning before we get into the study. I'm I'm about to put our topic up on the screen in just a moment. But first, I want to begin by saying the Bible says that we are to teach and apply all of God's Word. That's easy and that's difficult. Now, this topic that we're going to be discussing this morning, I'll just be frank... For some, some will feel like it's very pointed. It will make some uncomfortable. It will make maybe some feel embarrassed. Some may feel just angry. But as this is from the Bible, I have an obligation to preach this. And I want you to make a private promise as you have an obligation to hear no matter what God's word has to say. So with that being said, are you ready for what we're going to talk about? Matthew chapter 11, verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now let me just ask, as I was preparing you for what we were going to be discussing, did you start to get worried? A few people kind of snickering a little bit at that. When, we, when I was preparing you for what we were going to be talking about, did you immediately feel Embattled? If so, I think that this indicates a very common problem that some Christians have today. And so that's why this morning we're going to be talking about the necessary, the necessary act of hearing. And it is in fact an act. And and ultimately how we need to hear. Just very quickly, just Jesus alone talks about this frequently throughout the New Testament. There's there's just a few passages that we could look at, and that, in fact, we're going to look at throughout the study this morning. But since this is such a common refrain, so very repeated by Jesus specifically, not just the rest of the New Testament writers, doesn't this just speak to its importance? In Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the sower, as he goes through that parable before he gets into explaining it, what he says is there's a difference between the faithful and the unfaithful, and that is really if they hear He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, Jesus says, uh, just the the parallel account of the the parable of of the soils rather, He says, be careful how you hear. Luke chapter 14 and verse 35, as He's talking about the cost of discipleship and inviting people to become His disciples, what does He say? But this very thing, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As God ends His revelation, He just repeats this, over and over, particularly with the seven churches of Asia. And, and let's just look at that just for a moment. Revelation chapter 2 in verse 7 beginning. As he speaks to the church in Ephesus, how does he end? But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of light life which is in the paradise of God. Skipping down to verse 11. To the church in Smyrna, he says, He who has an ear, to, in ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And we could read verse 17. We could read verses 6 and 13 of, of chapter 3. And in verse 22, we could go to chapter 13. But over and over, Jesus is saying to us, we need to hear. With all of this being said, I want, I really want to look at how God wants us to hear, what it really means to hear His Word, and then make some application at the end. And so, just as we... we Ask this question, how does God want us to hear? First of all, it is absolutely an action. It is, not, it, it is not something that is inactive. I think a lot of times people, even Christians sometimes talk about it. They don't say that, but they almost imply it. When, when you hear people talk about the plan of salvation, we sometimes say the steps of salvation. We always begin with hearing because that is essential. How can you believe if you have not heard, Paul would say in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing. What's interesting though is sometimes when people talk about that step, we almost just kind of, you know, just run over it, just breeze past it, don't give much thought to it, skip straight to the faithfulness. And we need to talk about faithfulness. But I, I, I think some people think that just hearing alone is not difficult to command in and of itself. But when you think about how Jesus says, let him hear, understand that's a command. He's not just saying... I'm gonna force you to do things. He's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the word. It's your job to hear or not. So it absolutely is an action. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3. Here's the story, and we actually kind of talked about this in, in the Bible class this morning downstairs in, in the middle school class, but in 1 Kings chapter 3, you know this story, you're familiar with it. But do you remember as Solomon is asking for wisdom, God says he's going to grant him something. He's asking for wisdom. Look specifically in verse 9. In verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 3 it says, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Your Bible may have, your translation may have a a footnote uh, where it says an understanding heart. That word understanding there could also be translated a hearing heart. So understand fully what Solomon is asking for. He's asking for an understanding heart. He's asking for a heart that hears. That's important. Now, the word, the Hebrew word shema, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's shema, S-H-A-M-A. What it actually means is to hear intelligently, often with implication of attention, of obedience. And in fact, I think you even see this implied throughout the text over and over again back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve are in the, are in the garden with, with God, in a couple of verses here, the word is used in verse 8, as it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Skip down to verse 10, it says, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So that word is used once more. It, it, it's, it, it, so immediately what you find is, in Genesis, when Solomon was asking about it, he said, give me an understanding heart. Give me a hearing heart. So I just wanted you to see how it is used throughout the Old Testament. But specifically in verse 17, after they have sinned, after God has begun talking with them, and he gets into start, starting with the consequences of disobeying him, what does he say in verse 17? In verse 17 it says, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you. Saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. What did he say Adam did? Not just that he understood. But he heard the voice of his wife. Over the voice of God. He should have heard. He should have obeyed God's voice. But instead he followed suit with Eve. After she had sinned. And said instead of hearing God. I'm going to hear this. I'm going to obey this. I'm going to act on this. What I want to take away from all these passages is it absolutely is an action. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18, we don't have to go there, but that's the story where Abraham is sacrificing Isaac. And in verse 18, it actually says God answers Abraham and says, because you have heard, because you have obeyed my voice in not sparing your own son, your only begotten son, well i'm going to bless the world, world through your, through your seed, and so that promise is made on the fact that Abraham did what God said, he acted on what he heard and so and, and I think we can understand that there are times throughout the Bible where it says that he heard his voice, what it means is he did what he was told, and so it's talking about obedience it's talking about action, and so we cannot look at this 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 topic of hearing and think well it's just some inactive thing we do we just have it forced on us no you have a say in this an important say in this you have to hear let yourself hear before you can have that faith that he that he wants us to have not only is it active but it's also zealous it is absolutely a choice if it's an action it's a choice. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 18 that's the uh, parallel account we were referring to. Jesus going through the parable of the sowers. And in verse 18 just like in Matthew chapter 13 he says so take care how you listen for whoever has to him more shall be given and whoever does not have even what he thinks he, he has shall be taken away from him. Now going back to Matthew chapter 13 because we're going to read from this in just a moment but I th- do think we need to Really pay attention when Jesus ends this parable of the soils with that admonishment, with that commandment. You be careful how you listen because it will affect your relationship with God. It will affect if you have one and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. And why is it? Because ultimately what these parables are doing, when he's talking about the soils, what is the seed but the word of God? And so the soils are indicating who will listen and who will not listen. Over in Matthew chapter 13 now, beginning in verse 13, after the disciples ask, what is this parable supposed to mean? In verse 13, Jesus, as he answers, says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. Why? Why are the disciples' eyes blessed? Just because he decided that they are more important than the rest? No because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Why are they blessed? Because they came to understand. They wanted to hear more. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say about the matter. What does this mean? The rest didn't do that. And so they were the ones that didn't want to hear. I, and, and when it talks about that, what, what Isaiah's prophecy there those who see but do not perceive. I remember growing up, I just hated math. I just did. And every time I would get into a new math class, and I'm glad Dad is with the baby in the back so that way I don't have to see his face as I go through this, but every time I'd get to a new math class, i say, this is just, this is still, why are we even doing this? Why do I need to know this? Because every time I looked at this just conglomeration of <coughs> random numbers and letters for some reason, I don't know how the alphabet has anything to do with math, but you add all that together and it just looks like just some nebulous, vague thing that there's no way I can understand. You know what happens so often? I'll tell you what, when I looked at that, I didn't perceive it. I saw it, but I didn't perceive it. I didn't understand it. And what dad so often had to tell me was, it's because you really don't care to. Did you read the chapter? I mean, the teacher talked about it. (laughs) You know what I wasn't doing? I wasn't going to hear more. I did not care what a variable meant. I did not care what tangent, cosine, and and sine meant. In fact, I still don't today. (laughs) That's why I'm not an engineer. Now, I may be able to do that with some math. I'll tell you what, you can't do that with this. Jesus says, if you want to perceive, you've got to come to me. And you need to be willing to hear even more. Then you will be able to perceive, just like his disciples, just like the twelve that were following him so closely. And so there is a big difference between just physically hearing something and willfully hearing something. There's a huge difference. In fact, you even kind of see this when it comes to people. Have you you ever had someone come and just give you advice? What happens a lot of the time? Oh, okay, that's cool. There's a big difference between someone who goes out of the way to tell you what their advice always is and going and seeking someone's. I listen a lot better when I go to ask my dad a question about something than you know, some others who just make it their job to tell you every single time, every single day, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. Need. I have a hard time listening there. But those that we seek, we, t- we pay attention. And so we need to zealously choose to hear what God has to say. So it's active, it's, it's a zealous, it's a choice. Not only that, but He wants us to hear carefully. And this comes back to what we were just saying a moment ago, because it will decide our fate. God is not going to give a pass to those who choose unwisely. When you look at the instructions, the admonishments, the rebukes that are given to some of the seven churches of Asia in Revelations chapter 2 and verse uh, through chapter 3, we won't go through all of those passages. But isn't it interesting that he repeats himself over and over again with different churches, with different congregations. And some of those churches really needed to hear why. Because there was some sin that was among them. And he says, you need to make sure you rebuke, because if not, I'm coming. And I'm going to bring the sword, the sword, the word of God, the double-edged sword that comes from the the mouth of Jesus. Now, let me just ask, as he goes through that and says, you need to repent, otherwise something's going to happen. Otherwise, there will be consequences. (laughs) Do you think that if they did nothing if they just heard that rebuke and said, oh, I don't really care, it doesn't really matter, let's just continue on in the teaching of Balaam, or you know, have association with those who teach the doctrine of Balaam, was nothing going to happen? No, Jesus said, you need to repent, otherwise there's going to be consequences. And if they just decided, I'm just going to reject that, the consequences would come. Now, we, wanna, we really want to be that congregation that he doesn't have to give a rebuke to, but often, sometimes that is the case. Are we carefully listening to the commands of Jesus? Are we making sure that we're not just brushing things off? Because let me tell you, it doesn't matter if it's difficult or not. Even for Christians, there are commandments. There's instruction. That's hard to hear. Even harder to apply. Even for Christians, not just for unbelievers, but for those who are a part of His body, of His church. But no matter how difficult it is, does anybody have a right to reject it? Is there going to be anyone in the judgment who can say, regardless of the commandment, it was too hard, you know what, Jesus, I didn't want to hear it. What's going to be the response? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We already know the end of that story, so we need to listen carefully. That's how God wants us to listen, and we have no right to reject what he gives us. Now, finally, how does God want us to hear? He wants us to hear continually at all times it's it's not just a one-time event it's a lot like repentance repentance is not just a one-time thing and all of a sudden okay now I'm a Christian I don't have to do that anymore in fact it's a continual thing and I think that's a part of the reason that repentance has to a little bit to do with with what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that notion of being born again repentance has a lot to do with that you're a born-again Christian that means that you live that life of turning away from sin and turning towards God we can't just act like, oh, well, I've done it once, so I'm good now. But sometimes people do that with hearing, I think. You go to James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, and James says that we need to be looking intently at the perfect law of liberty. And he even kind of talks about you know what happens when a man goes and looks at himself in the mirror? When he goes away, what happens? He immediately forgets. But we need to be those who intently look. Into that mirror. Those who intently look and make sure. Is there a blemish? Is there something off? Because I don't want to go out in public looking like a fool. I don't want to walk away from this. And look like the world. Are we listening continually? Or do we just say it's just a one time thing. I don't have to think about it anymore. With the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. Do you think that that was a one time event for him? Of, of repentance. And of, of faithfulness. Of hearing. Of hearing. He learned enough to become a Christian that very night. But do you think that it would be okay if he just stayed at that level of of spiritual immaturity? And I don't mean that in in a negative way. I just mean there's a need for growth. There's a need to move on from the milk and onto the meat. Would it be okay if he never moved on? If he never grew past that? I think he would have misunderstood the message. I think he, he initially had very good faith. But if he didn't continue to grow, what good was it? In the same way... In Acts chapter 8, the very end of the chapter, we find this beautiful uh, passage where the Ethiopian eunuch and the Philip are talking about Isaiah chapter 53, speaking about Jesus. And what does he say? What hinders me from being baptized? He, even though he needed help from Philip, what we find in that passage is he was an avid reader. He didn't just pick up, you know, Isaiah one day and say, oh, this is interesting. He was somebody who cared about what God had to say. In fact, I think that's why he made that trek. He wanted to know what God had to say. He wanted to hear. When Philip came, what did he do? He listened and he heard, not the voice of Philip, but the voice of God. When the gospel is preached. And he said, there is water. What hinders me from being baptized? He heard the voice of God. He acted. He obeyed. We need to make sure that we don't just think That this is a a one-time thing. I guarantee you that that Ethiopian eunuch, after that moment where he was baptized, he rejoiced greatly. I don't think he just put away Isaiah 53 forevermore. Rather, every single time he picked it up after that, it just grew in appreciation. Instead of forgetting what he had read and forgetting what what he learned to bring him salvation, he would grow in that. A Christian grows in that. They appreciate that passage even more every single time they pick it up. They want to see how Jesus fulfills that passage every single time they pick it up. It's not going to dwindle. It's just going to get more, uh, grow more within us. And so it, we need to continually be listening to Jesus, continually listening to the instructions of God. Now... We understand at least a little bit. There's so much more that we could talk about this morning. But, but here is just a brief four-point lesson on how God expects for us to hear and how he commands for us to hear. Now, we need to ask the question, am I willing to hear? When Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Am I going to obey that commandment? Am I currently obeying that commandment? Are you willing to hear God's word regardless of the situation? Remember that this is not just about physically hearing. It's about how we hear. Are we going to be the good soil or are we going to be the soil that ends up choking out the word? Or the soil that is too hard for the word to penetrate it and and so the birds and the world takes it away? I want to be the soil that has been cultivated to take it in and let it grow and produce good fruit we need to be that good soil now with this being said if this is about how I hear remember what we said a moment ago if God's Word is being preached do I ever have a right to reject it do I ever have a right to say I'm not gonna listen I'm not gonna hear that regardless of the content when we were beginning this study and I was going through that introduction, preparing everyone for, for what we were going to be talking about. I just want to ask again, did you get nervous? I, I mean, I, I'm telling you, as I went through this study, I, I, I wondered about how I would respond. How I would think if a preacher came up and started talking like that, did I do something? But I'll tell you what. Let me, well, actually, let me ask another question. What in God's revelation could we talk about that should make me nervous? Is there anything? Shouldn't every single moment that this book is open and we read from the the, the Word, the very Word of God, shouldn't it be that we are filled with excitement and with joy, not with anxiety? Not with, oh no, is he going to say something about me? Oh no, is he going to say something that, that I have a problem with? I think generally when we get nervous at something like that, it's because... We're worried that what is going to be talked about is going to be something that we have failed in. or That we know we're failing in. And so regardless of the content, are you willing to hear it? Are you willing to hear it when God says that he expects you to cover up nakedness? Are you willing to hear what he says is nakedness? Are you willing to hear we just talked about assembling together the other week? And, and, and we talked about the commandment that God gives that we are supposed to be together and about attendance. Did that make you mad? Or did it convict you even more? Did it make you think, not only do I not want to forsake the assembly, I want to stimulate one another to love and good works. Consider how to do that more often. How did you hear that? How would you respond if someone started talking about alcohol? If someone started talking about pornography and had a whole lesson dedicated to that, would you be squirming in your seat? Because maybe you've been failing there. Or... Are you going to be open, uh, with an open heart, accepting everything that is said, not from the speaker, but from this word, from God? Because that's how it needs to be, regardless of the content. Am I willing to hear? Do I have ears to hear? Not only that, but are you willing to hear regardless of the speaker? Now, there are lots of people that would say, oh, I would never, I would never just, I would never just take that aside. And and just because whoever is up there, I I wouldn't, that's easy to say. But do we practice that? Um, Not too long ago, we were going through Ephesians chapter 5, and I was talking about marriage, and I was trying to make what I thought were decent points about marriage from this text. I know the irony of a 26-year-old married for only four years at this point, talking to a group of individuals who've been married for longer than him, and in some cases way longer than him. I understand how that could be difficult. But let me just ask... When you heard those points from the Bible, from Ephesians chapter 5, telling us how a husband is supposed to act, how a wife is supposed to act, how they're supposed to be towards each other, the whole time were you just thinking, oh, I'm not going to listen to this young buck preaching about marriage. Oh, oh, what is he expecting to tell me? How dare he even try to talk to me about marriage? She's only been married for a few years. I've been married for, for maybe 10, 20 years. I'm not going to hear anything he has to say. Did you even hear the content? Because that's what matters, not the speaker. Did, did, when Paul is talking to Timothy, does he say in First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, let no one despise your youth except for those older than you? Because it is harder to hear from people who are younger and maybe don't share all the experiences that you do. Granted, that can be more difficult. I'm not going to lie. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, let no one despise your youth. Regardless of the speaker, are you willing to hear In Titus chapter 2, very quickly, Titus chapter 2, he says something very uh, similar, but I really like the way he says it here. Titus chapter 2, in verse 15, he says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I'm not saying that you have to like the speaker. I'm not saying that you have to enjoy What I'm saying is, If he is speaking God's word, if he is speaking the revelation of God, do I have any right to reject God's word? Anybody have the courage to say, I think I do? No, no one in here, no one in here would say that because the people in here believe in what this word has to say. We're not going to disregard God's word, regardless of the content. Regardless of the speaker, and it's kind of an easy application to make when you talk about, especially the preacher. But it doesn't just, it doesn't have to do with this. Sometimes it can have to do with that brother or sister that I just cannot stand. That I I just I don't I hate talking to them. They're just always complaining. They always have some issue. And so you know what? He's coming to me and he wants to talk to me about maybe some application that maybe I need to think about in the Bible. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Because I just I don't care for him or I don't care for her. I'm not saying that sometimes people don't come in a wrong way or a bad way. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But if it's God's word, do I have a right to reject it regardless of who it is? We need to be careful about that. But kind of segueing into the next point, regardless of the delivery, am I willing to hear it or am I going to reject it? Jonah, in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4, he preached what seems to be the shortest lesson in all the Bible. It also is the most volatile and hostile lesson that you will find in all the Bible. Eight words, and what is it? A message of condemnation. You are going to die. Now, I'll tell you how Nineveh could have responded to that. Nineveh could have looked at that and said, Do you see how hateful he is? He clearly wants us to be destroyed. He clearly wants us to be condemned. In fact, you even see it in Jonah's own words. You see it in the conversation between Jonah and God in Jonah chapter 4. And God is trying to make it. Are you sure you have a right to be angry about this? Jonah even says, I knew that you were going to give them grace. That's the whole reason I didn't want to come here in the first place. He hated the fact that God wanted to give them grace. He hated the fact that he was even giving them a chance to repent. And Jonah made it clear in his words. But what did Nineveh do? They repented, didn't they? And what a repentance it was. An exemplary, ex, an ex, a great example of repentance for us today. Jonah preached the good news, again, in the most hateful way possible. But did God say that Nineveh was going to get a pass because of that? Did God say, you know what, Nineveh, I'm sorry about how he acted. That was wrong. You know what? Just keep going on the way you're going. Just keep sending the way you are. They weren't going to get a pass. And, 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 but beyond that, not only was he going to say, you don't have to repent anymore because of how hateful he was. Rather, Nineveh, a most ungodly nation, becomes a standard for how God's people should hear, should react. Even more, not just... Not just a standard, but it is a testament against those of God's people who won't hear. Over in Matthew chapter 12, very quickly, Jesus brings this up. Matthew chapter 12 in verse 40, or in verse 41 rather as he is speaking to people who are looking for signs and they're, they're trying to get Jesus to do all these things for him, he begins talking about Jonah the prophet. And, and, and instead of giving them the sign, he says, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign in verse 39. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. They repented. They acted properly. Even though this word of grace was presented, was preached in a very improper, in an inappropriate way. And they are going to be a standard and a testament against those who say, no, I'm not willing to hear it. Let me tell you something. There are going to be moments... And I hope it hasn't been from me, but there are going to be moments where the speaker, the preacher, is going to say some things in a way that is just hateful. That's a shame. That's a shameful thing. But even if he says something from God's Word in a hateful way, are we just going to say, well, then I'm, just not, I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? I'm not going to hear what God's Word has to say. We need to separate the wheat from the chaff, don't we? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10 that his speech was contemptible. But this message was from the mind and mouth of God and it was received that way. As you see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. He even, he, I don't understand how Paul could say this, but he says, I'm not the most eloquent. Apollos is much more eloquent, but it doesn't matter. It needs to be received with the authority of an apostle. It needs to be received with the authority of thus saith the Lord. Again. If you are hearing God's word, regardless of the delivery, do you have a right to reject it? Do I have a right to reject it? No. Not even if I just can't stand the person. Not if I can't stand the way that this man is hatefully speaking towards me. Again, it doesn't just have to do with the preacher. Imagine a man is just had a bad day at work. He comes home and he's just grumpy. Have you ever had those days? He gets home and he's grumpy and he is just acting out on his family. And his wife comes up to him and says, listen, I know you had a bad day. But you don't get to act like this because you're a Christian. Well, guess what, sunshine? You don't act very much better when you have a bad day. It's funny. And it's funny because you've probably heard that story not just as an illustration. (laughs) Do we get to say that? If I'm not acting like a Christian, it doesn't matter how bad a day I've had. If I'm not acting like a Christian, it doesn't matter who's coming to me. It doesn't matter how they come to me. And especially if it's in that gentle way of... You're not acting like a Christian. You need to chill out. How dare I come back and say, Oh, how dare you? Just like the Pharisees. Just like those who heard something greater than Jonah. From someone greater than Jonah. Said, Not going to have it. I think it's easier than we sometimes act it is in our lives to do that. What about someone who, and maybe this is a Christian. They come to you. And they want to rebuke you. And they do it, not the way Paul says, in a gentle way with self-control, trying to encourage people, trying to uplift people, exhort them, even if they are struggling. But they come to you almost reveling in the fact, you failed. I knew you were going to do this. You see what the Bible says? You're nothing but a reprobate. You're nothing but a sinner. That's inappropriate. That's just like Jonah. That should never happen. But Christian, I'm talking to the one who loves Jesus... Are you willing to, because of that Christian's poor attitude, sinful attitude, are you willing to say, because of that man, I'm not going to hear what he has to say? Paul Earnhardt used to say two, two rules when someone comes to you, even if you feel like it's unjustified. First, make sure that what they say isn't true. Because if it's true, it doesn't matter how they came to you, you need to fix it. And especially if you're a preacher, he was talking to a bunch of preachers at the time. But then he said, secondly, if you find out that it's not justified, well then you can move right on to just talking to them about maybe their attitude. But don't get it the other way around. Don't be the person who, who tries to get the speck out of someone else's eye when you've got a plank in your own. Yes, they have a responsibility to not act that way and it come to you in, in a, in a, in a Christian loving way. But even if they don't, that does not mean you get to reject God's word. I know I've repeated myself so often, but one last time, When God's word is being presented to me, when God's word is read, when God's word is spoken, when someone says, thus saith the Lord, if they just give you the scripture, if they just give you the gospel, regardless of who that person is, regardless of how they deliver it, regardless of the content, do I have a right to reject it? Because ultimately what I'm doing... You're not rejecting that man. You're rejecting God. Just like he says to Samuel when, they ask, when the people ask for a king. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. Do you want to be like those people? Or do you want to be the person who looks more like a disciple of Jesus? Because regardless of the way it's given to them, they are going to seek Jesus even more. Even through the hardships. I know that this can be a difficult thing at times that's the reason I wanted to preach through it because hearing is just way more difficult than some people say Oh, it it just happens once then you never do it it's a daily thing of a disciple it's a daily responsibility a daily work and act of a Christian I know that that can be hard but regardless of the difficulty the invitation remains from Jesus he who has ears to hear let him hear That's a gentle invitation, but it's also a commanding one. Remember, you will be judged. I will be judged according to whether or not I was willing to hear these words and act on them. Or if I just very simply am not willing to. Are you willing to hear this morning? If you hear the word of God, what that's going to do... And if you, like the disciples, come and try to hear more and try to act on that. What that does is bring us to faithfulness to God. It will uh, create belief in us. And when we uh, are going to be faithful to God, what we're going to do is then move forward with that. We're going to repent of all the things he says that we need to do away with. We're going to turn to him for everything. And we're going to confess his name. We're going to confess, pledge our loyalty to him, our allegiance to him, and confess that he is the son of the living God. And we're going to be baptized into his death. It doesn't matter the commandment. Big or small, we're going to follow it. Are you subject to the invitation this morning? Please let your need be made known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.